here today I have Mr. Jung Kim. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. Not too bad. I'm actually horrible as always. Uh, quarantine is blowing my mind here sideways. Here we go again. Just... Wow, I'm sorry, wow, I'm young, wow, hormonal, wow. and I'm just... <laughs> why would you get, Why you gotta say hormonal? It's because of the acne, so, bro. The skincare routine is coming okay. in every day. Gross. Um, That's just because you don't I'm shower. I'm sorry. Well, says the guy that is growing, like, back hair like a Japanese samurai. Not the front I hair, shave. bro. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Cute man bun. Anyways. Um, well, yeah, welcome back. This is episode eight now. Wow, that's crazy. Eight? Mm -hmm. Um, I know. Soon. I know we are. We're gonna retire once we start making money, which will be never. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm Elon Musk, <laughs> if you're listening. Elon, I know you just opened up that factory <laughs> against state orders, man. So you gotta be making that bank to send us. You think going to Texas will solve anything, Elon? Nope. They're worse over there. How dare you? <sighs> anyway. Anyway. Yo. Today is a special episode because we actually have a special mm. guest, Mister. Elon Musk himself, <laughs> just kidding, is actually my good friend, Esther. Say hello, Esther. Hi. I could not pronounce your last name. I didn't want to butcher it, and I didn't want to sound really racist. Is it Esther Locke? Wait, you're serious? You can't pronounce my last name? Wow. Wait, is it Locke or Lack? Lack. You just said the same thing twice, Lack. no? Yeah, you no. said the same thing twice. No, one I said it like UK version, like luck. Luck. Oh no 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 no. UK no. version. Not, not UK version. Okay, so it's it's lack, but it's lacking in K. <sighs> yeah, like that. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> well. All right. Uh, yeah. Anyway, yes, Esther and Lack, uh, we've been a good buddy. Buddies. We've been a good for. Buddy. Yeah, for <laughs> for a pretty long time. Yeah, but the Esther, she lives in Canada. Ooh. Um, uh, I should know this, Calgary. And yeah. she told me multiple times that Calgary in Canada is literally middle of nowhere, where nothing happens. Isn't it's not all the middle of Canada, nowhere. nothing happens? That's not true. Whoa! My bad, my bad. Go USA, go Korea. You need to go see oh, Vancouver. I've been, actually. I went to Canada. We drove from California, like Sacramento. Uh, how long was it ago? That's gross. Like maybe five, six years ago. Yeah, we did the whole like Oregon, Washington, and then ended up in Vancouver. It's pretty nice. That's a you pretty nice. To, is Butcher Gardens the one in Canada? I yeah, that's in DC. Yeah. yeah, Butcher Gardens went there. Heck of nice. My allergies were too. popping off though. I have to say, it was. <laughs> I have to say, allergies everywhere. are worse in California. Uh, yeah, but any. Foreign pollen is an enemy to my sinuses. But Ted does have a really crappy immune system. So I do. Yeah, his his immune system is kind of pretty challenged. Wack. It is. It's yeah. challenged physically. <laughs> well, then I guess congratulations on not getting COVID yet. Oh, I know, right? It's Yikes! Freaking miracle! I know. That's the person from Canada. I don't. I don't know what that means. Yeah. What do you yeah. mean? What does it have to do? I don't know. Do I think they're doing pretty okay up there, but. Yeah, no we're one, doing no all right. News, but they're universal health care. But uh, yep. here at Painted Jungle, here in the jungle, we like to uh, keep safety measures. So when we're recording, we're all recording with N95 masks, at mm. least N95 masks. Mm. If yeah, not, hazmat suits. And hazmat suits, yes. And uh, we have our hand sanitizer, sponsored by Bath and Body Works at the beach. <laughs> yeah, they're still in company? What do There's you like mean? barely what? any alcohol in that. Alcohol? No. Don't they all? We like to we like to stay safe. Okay, we don't want to take any chances, so that's mm. what we do. So yes, we're all recording remotely. So obviously, Jung and I aren't in Canada. Just to let you guys know, we're recording. Uh, right, call. we're in Bulgaria. <laughs> yeah, we're actually in Brunei. <laughs> six weeks <laughs> not enough for us, so we have to go six thousand miles <laughs> <laughs> away from the epicenter of the virus. <laughs> But anyway, enough about us. Mm. Esther, would you please um, tell us about yourself? Okay, like well, first of all, what do you do? Right, you're not a you're not a student. You graduated, um, I believe, like two years ago or three years ago. Three, yeah. So after I graduated university, I became a registered dietitian. 
Um, basically, we're considered the experts when it comes to anything nutrition or food related, but my specialty is working actually in a hospital, so with the really, really sick people. Um, what do I do? I do a lot of like... <laughs> <laughs> what we call nutrition support basically a lot of people don't know that dietitians like do other things aside from just like meal planning and lecturing you about your diabetes we actually do a lot so in the hospital a lot of what i do is when sick people or injured people come in and they're unconscious and they can't eat and swallow because they're unconscious um we tube feed them and so it's the dietitian's job to do calculations to figure out okay how much calories, how much protein, how much whatever nutrient they need um, to sustain them until we can transition them back to a point where they can eat again and other stuff like that. So um, I, I would say my career is pretty dynamic, but I do mostly for now work in the hospital, which is interesting because um, with COVID happening, um, it's like dietitians are involved in that too. So we do have a role in COVID and that's not often covered in the media, mm. but when people are not able to breathe properly, they're probably not able to swallow safely either. So somehow we have to get the nutrients into them and that's when dietitians come in. So that's kind of like a brief of what I do specifically as a job. Mm. So how would you, can you talk a little bit more about that? So if somebody is having a hard time swallowing um, mm -hmm. How would you help compensate for that issue? So it really depends on what their reason for not being able to swallow is, but 9 out of 10 times, if their gut is able to digest food properly, then what would happen is um, someone would put a tube down from their nose into their stomach, and then that tube would be hooked up to a bag of formula and the dietitians would calculate what volume and rate they need to be fed at in order to meet their nutrition requirements and then they would be fed like through that tube through their nose you said the tube yeah it goes from the nose into the stomach because it's it's all connected like the tube well, not the mouth there. though right. gotta be through the the nose wow. sorry ted didn't take anatomy i'm so sorry i'm a know. different kind of science yeah. major <laughs> Okay, okay. So, <laughs> you know how um, you have your throat? Well, from your, your nose, your nostril, I guess, like you can actually get from the nostril like down to the throat. And then from the throat, it's attached to your esophagus, which is then attached to your stomach. And so you kind of just, I guess, trail the tube through this pathway, your GI tract, into the stomach. And then the tube ends in the stomach and you put formula through, the formula like pulls into your stomach and then you're able right. to digest it as if it was just like chewed up food almost, oh, yeah. but like way more than that. Hmm. Yeah. GI tract stands for gastrointestinal Gastrointestinal. Ted, just okay, well actually in fifth grade <laughs> I did a thing and I was a gastroenterologist. Thank you very much. I have pictures to prove it. But I'm very aware In that, fifth grade? Yeah, we did this thing called thing. Code Blue and like we all had to be a different kind of doctor and my role was gastroenterologist. It was funny because like I think we were like studying saliva in our little group. So, you know, like when you're young, you don't know how to Google search. So what you do is like you just add .com to anything. One of my like lab partners just put like saliva.com and it was like connected to the teacher's <gasps> computer and it was some like punk rock band. It was blasting like F word music in the whole classroom. <laughs> like we weren't even supposed to be there. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, that, that was the first thought. Yeah, no, that, I'm, I'm That sounded very educational. Yeah. So what was your role as a gastrointestinal? Intestinologist. Enterologist. Gastroenterologist. Gastroenterologist. You can't even say the word right, <laughs> sir. No, we just did like. Oh gosh. We just did like. Hey, listen, man. Day. Listen, okay. I had an early morning finals today. I'm still tired. Well, you're done, up. right? Not too long ago. You're done with school. I am done. Oh, congratulations, dude. No, I'm done. Thank you. Thank Good you, sir. Yeah. <sighs> but anyway, what was your role, Ted? Me, man. Fifth grade. So I think we just had like case experiments, like where it was just examples of like, oh, um, a kid like fell off his bike and I don't know, ate some grass so started to throw up. I don't know. It was very like simple things. We just had to study very and then our job was to like, or something. 
Bro, I don't know. Like, he just caught on all four legs and started chewing the grass and survived. <laughs> but, no, it was just very, like, you know, playful, just studying science and, like, um, real world, real world uh, examples of trying to get kids into med. But, obviously, I didn't, I didn't fall into that trap of medicine. Yeah. But yeah. So, instead of health science, you did uh, to physical, computer science. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. So, yeah, um, that's interesting. So, have you been, are you still working in the hospital? Because I know you've been off from work recently. But yeah. I saw you on Instagram that you were wearing <laughs> your badge again. So, I wasn't sure if, that's if that means you're going back to work or you're just so trying to reminisce. <laughs> no, I actually had to go back into work this morning to pick up a laptop oh. because I'm on call this weekend. So being on call basically just means like in a period of time like the weekend when most of the staff are like not working, they still need someone to be on call in case emergencies pop up. So this weekend I'm going to be on call. So if any sort of nutrition emergency happens in my city, um, everyone will just call me and I have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wow. What do you find most rewarding about your job? I find being able to see people eat again when they've gone such a long time not being able to eat. Because eating is like one of the basic pleasures in life. Like eating is a very enjoyable activity that people do. It's something that we socialize around. It's something that um, some people find aspects of their identity in it's how you show love and care to other people so when people are so sick um, for whatever reason that they're not able to eat it takes a toll on their physical and their mental health mm. um, to be able to see people from the beginning when they're say unconscious being tube fed unable to eat up to the point where now they're able to eat and they're not having swallowing difficulties and they're enjoying food again and then they're discharged from the hospital I think being able to appreciate their journey to get there is what makes it really rewarding for me. Oh, that's awesome. Did you always want to be a dietitian? When did you when did you realize that you wanted to go on this path of becoming a dietitian? Okay, I decided I think in grade 12 and it was because like, you know, Asian parents, they want you to go to university, they want you to pick a degree where you're guaranteed to get a job after because originally before I picked this, I wanted to do like video editing and like oh. video directing and stuff like that. Like I had a phase. And Is it because you know, of K-pop? No, 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 oh, this was not related to K-pop at all. No, I wanted sure. related. I wanted uh, Oh Esther no, was I a wanted... diehard SNSD fan. <laughs> no, Bro, what? GG. SNSD? No, 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 no. Eh. <laughs> no, I feel you though. I um. Video why is that an SNSD fan? Oh no, yeah, that too. But I was gonna say like <laughs> no. I, I, I had definitely a phase, and still do today, like of making like short films and like video editing, like playing with like the basic software and just like making you know yeah like funny stuff for youtube like i was super into that too and now i'm like kind of forced to do it for church but it's okay that we still we still will you share your old it. yeah it's purich's fault yeah sorry purich there's your roast of the day yeah yeah <laughs> love you <laughs> okay sorry sorry uh, we got our track but <laughs> anyway continue so you yeah so um, I actually decided, I had a yeah. teacher, I had a teacher um, kind of recommend me different post-secondary schools related to like the arts in terms of like video editing, directing, um, like basically film schools. Mm. And I pitched it to my mom one day and she like almost beat me up. Mm. <clears throat> she was so... <laughs> I feel you. She was like, I feel you, you. Yeah. Yeah. She was like, if you do this, I'm disowning you as my daughter. Like, I... <laughs> You need to go to university because I did not immigrate all the way here to Canada uh -huh. for you to go and waste your life, I don't know, pursuing film school and then becoming a bum because you're, you're not good enough at film to get a job. Because, mm. you know, Asian parents, they like to assume that you're going to fail so that if you actually fail, it hurts them less. I, I don't know. <laughs> Whoa, I never thought of it that so, way. <laughs> <laughs> Mind blown. You're just, you're, they're like... Um, sensitizing themselves and like preparing themselves for 
for something. And then like, if you do well, it's like, holy crap, like, hallelujah, like, I guess. Like, did you cheat? Like, what did you do? Like, you're not my son. You got an what? A on a math quiz? What? What? Only me? What? Um, I'm confused. Never mind. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, that was. Yeah. Don't do it again. Okay. So, so dietitian. <laughs> your, did your mom know what dietitian was? No. Like, okay. no. I, actually, no, I didn't either. So what happened was, um, okay, so... I wasn't like a stupid kid growing up, but you know, like Asian parents don't think you're smart, even if you get okay or good grades. So my mom decided that she was going to pay for all these tutors. So I had three tutors every week, like up until grade 12, I had three tutors every week. And one of my tutors, um, I kind of confided in about career path because I was like, oh, my mom shot down my film school idea. So now I, I don't know what to do. Um, but I told her that I wanted a career that would be able to help people. So she, she suggested healthcare, and then we kind of looked at different jobs that are involved in healthcare, and we came across dietitian, sounded interesting, didn't know what it was about, so we researched it together, and after researching it, I talked about it with my friends, and then I found out one of my friends was actually trying to get into that same program, just in a different city, which is actually where I ended up going to school and completing that program. So because I had people that knew about the program and they pitched it to me, I was like, oh, yeah, I think I could do this and I'd like to work in healthcare. I, I just want to help people. So that was kind of how I decided I wanted to be a dietitian after when I realized nothing I chose outside of a university degree would ever be approved by my parents. I had to work with what I was allowed to, which was something that involved a university degree. Interesting. So who was this tutor? What did she tutor you in? Honestly, I think it's kind of, I don't even know what, because she used to be my preschool teacher. And yeah, and I think there was a period of time in elementary school and junior high when I didn't do really well in reading comprehension. And so my mom hired her as my tutor because I guess she became really close friends with my mom. My mom ended up working for that preschool for a period of time. So she became friends with my old preschool teacher, and then she told the preschool teacher that I suck at reading comprehension, I'm going to be a failure, and I don't know English, even though I was born in Canada, and she was like, I need you to rescue my daughter's English. So <laughs> she her to teach me reading comprehension, essentially, and obviously, after a while, you get really good at it, and I didn't really need her as my tutor anymore, but because I kind of liked hanging out with her, I, I kind of, I didn't ask my mom to, like, fire her or anything, because I kind of liked hanging out with her, and I, I trusted her insight stuff like that. So that's why she, um, in high school, it was more of her just giving me life and career advice rather than actually tutoring me in a subject. Mm. That's actually pretty dope. So she has planted the seed of becoming a dietitian in your heart. She was like the first one to bring it into your world. Yeah, yeah. Would you like to shout her out right now if she is listening? Uh, I don't think she even knows how to listen to podcasts. No, she, she, she listens. Our podcast is number one worldwide. Yeah, especially Canada. Yeah. Even Justin Trudeau yeah. like emailed us the other day, like asking if he could guest talk and like you know, talk about politics or whatever. But we shut him down. Yeah, because he said we, we like, said you're here coming. Here at Paint the Jungle. Yeah. Wait, what? Because we said Esther's coming, so we don't we don't have time. Oh yeah, exactly, there. exactly. We can only here take one Paint Canadian every six months. But, okay, no, we are not racist. That sounded really, really racist. No, we just have a high wait list. We here at Paint. <laughs> yes. Here at Paint the Jungle, All right, so shout out to Justin Trudeau. I'm just kidding. <laughs> what, what is your teacher's name, though? Uh, her name was Irene. Irene. Hey, listen, yeah. Irene, if you are listening to this right now, <laughs> please go ahead and join us, uh, subscribe to us, and give us five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Why am I Remember to comment and recommend it to all your friends. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> and Jung, I like how you called her just Irene as if you know her. Miss Irene, thank you so much for <laughs> teaching us here and creating her into the woman that she is today. Um, yeah, let's move on to the next thing. Uh, Esther, as you know, we briefly talked the other day. And, you know, you have this interest in, um, I guess, video editing and, like, the arts, like you mentioned. And you take part in another, I guess, media of that as well, if you want to talk a little bit about that. Sorry, you lagged. <laughs> I'm sorry, say that again? What was your question? Oh, um, 
you are in, I guess, the art in another sort of way, sort of on the side, and you, you have been for a while. This is kind of how you met Jung, right, through, through oh, YouTube and yeah. through your work in writing um, and him and music yeah. and whatever the else Jung does. But if you want to talk a little bit about how you got into writing then, because you said you were bad at reading comprehension, but apparently you were good at, I guess, writing in general. Yeah, she's a she's the best author. Right. In, uh, New Montreal. York, New York Times, and whatever like Canadian Montreal, best times. Yeah. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> um, I actually always enjoyed writing. Like, hmm. ever since I learned how to write, and I learned how to read and write pretty early. To be honest, I think I didn't even realize I was bad at reading comprehension because I was under the impression I was really good at it. And I just really liked reading, and I really liked writing, and I used to just write short stories for fun during recess. Like, I was that nerd. Mm. I wouldn't play with I would just write in the corner. Mm. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I guess I had a few high school teachers um, encourage me to one day publish a book because they knew I was into writing fiction, but I didn't really take them all that seriously. And throughout high school, I would share stories online, and I would make some friends that way and they would encourage me to publish but I didn't really take that seriously either and then for some reason in university I decided I would look into self-publishing just so that I could have like a physical copy mm. of a book that I share with people um, like family and friends mostly I wasn't thinking of becoming a bestseller or anything and I'm not a bestseller um, I just wanted to be able to share something that I wrote yeah. um, with someone else so I ended up self-publishing a book in my second year of university and then Around that time was probably when I became friends with Jung, like became acquainted with Jung because we didn't start becoming really good friends until after I was done university. Mm. I see. What, what, so you have two books published, right? One is called Stargazer Scrapbook, which is the one that I've read. Yeah. And the other one is The Raining Heartbeat, which I have yet to read yet. Sorry about that again. But now that this no is over, I can actually read it. But what... It's okay if you forget. <laughs> what is something that you try to convey? Like what kind of, you know, wh what are the themes that you like to play with or kind of touch in your writing when you... Yeah, like what are these two it, books yeah. about, I guess? Okay. So I really like to write psychological dramas. I guess if you could give my book a genre, it would be fiction, but psychological drama type fiction. Um, I really like to use concepts borrowed from psychology to help sort of give my plot, I guess, some sort of mystery or, yeah, so my first book, um, The Stargazer Scrapbook, it talks a lot about memories in terms of mm. like memory repression as well as what's the difference between a memory versus a moment if you fabricate a moment and it's not a real memory but that fabricated moment affects how you live your life and how you perceive life is it still valid or is it not because it didn't actually happen so i was kind of um interested by that thought and that was what spurred on the plot and the development of the stargazer scrapbook Whereas for Raining Heartbeats, um, the topic I wanted to touch on in Raining Heartbeats was actually domestic abuse. And this is something that I wanted to touch on because I think that domestic abuse is more prevalent than we tend to think. Like, everyone tries to portray the best of themselves and their family and their lives. Like, whatever you see on Instagram is just polished versions of who people are. And you would never see behind the smile or behind the filtered photos that there's something else that they're struggling with. But you know that everyone struggles with certain things, um, for example, domestic violence, but that's not something that people shed light on or talk about. But I think for me, it was a theme that always kind of came back. And as I talked with other people, as I shared this ideal with other people, I started to realize just how prevalent um, aspects of domestic violence and domestic abuse were, and I, I wanted to, I guess, shed light on a topic that people tend to shy away from. Mm. Wow. That's actually extremely well put. Mm. Yeah. I really did enjoy Stargazer's scrapbook. 
Um, maybe that's also a reason why you like the game To the Moon so much. Oh, I love that game. Right. Because it has to... Yeah, it, it's kind of, it has to do with what you were talking about. <clears throat> the whole... Yeah, thing, memories. Yeah, memories, yeah. Yeah. Interesting, um. interesting. So, are you currently in the works of a third book? I think I'm done with writing fiction. I realized after I finished my second book, and it was such a long journey to get there, and I realized how much I hate editing fiction. That... And also, like... I, I like writing, but I think that as I grew up and as I matured, um, writing fiction has become a little bit difficult for me, whereas now my writing is a bit more, I don't know, science-y. I mean, I have a bachelor's of science, um, but I want to write more, I don't know, not fiction anymore. So my third book that I've been working on that I kind of put on pause is more of like, a collection of letters written to different sorts of like mental illnesses and struggles. Mm, interesting. What inspired that idea? That idea came about um, <clears throat> as I started to get, I guess, like become close friends with certain people who are struggling with different things in their lives, whether it was depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, body image, eating disorders. As I talked with friends who struggled with these things, I started to, like, there was a part of me that just felt really, I guess, angry that my friend that I care about has to go through all of this. And I didn't have a venue to sort of vent out that, those feelings of like frustration and anger and just like wanting my friend to be in a better place. And I thought about what if like depression was a person and I could just like, like, I don't know, go off at this person called depression because they're just ruining everybody's lives. And I just like, what would I say if depression was a person to that person? And that was kind of how that idea of writing letters to these illnesses as if they were people kind of came about. And it also helped me, I think, deal with those sorts of frustrations and also removes the responsibility of like, oh, this, I have to make this person better because it's not my job to heal someone or be someone's hero. Um, but as a friend or as someone in their life, I want to be there for them. And this is, but you still have to manage your own mental health. So to not let myself kind of get pulled into that negative cycle, um, mm. I started writing these letters. Mm. Wow. It's really interesting. That's, yeah, that's actually pretty cool. Um, so you're writing letters to these illnesses that you are upset about, right? Um, so is the book going to be rated R? Ooh. Are we going to be seeing like a lot of F-bombs and S-bombs? Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be rated R. We'll, we'll see. So far, all the letters, I think, interesting. So far. <laughs> Do books have ratings like that? Yeah, I don't. It's like rated PG thirteen book. Wait, like, that's a good question. They just have like. Um, wait, that is a good question. I don't know. Is writing limited? I don't, I don't, that's very. It's like, dear, dear depression. You are a piece of you know. It's like going off on it. Or is it's just it more the whole like... thing's redacted. Like but the, black. But here, but here's the. Here's the thing though, like because it's my writing, I'm never gonna write something that I I don't think I would actually say unless it was like in uh. fiction where the make-believe character so in real life i don't i don't swear and i don't uh. use that kind of language so i feel like in my letters because it's a letter kind of coming from me it, it wouldn't contain like the f-bomb because i just i don't drop f-bombs i see right makes sense no just esther like she's um she's a what do you call it? she's like a snowflake what? Oh, I feel you. <laughs> Not in a bad way. It's just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Just Calling me flaky? Untouched, flaky? No, untouched. no, no. Flaky is like pastry. Um, snowflake <laughs> is like pastry. unique and gentle and just uh, um, Ted out here dissing my pastry. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> She's not gentle at all. No, let me let me rephrase. Oh, okay. She is like this untouched, pure. Ah, I see. Right, mm -hmm. right. Um, innocent kind of thing. Esther is actually really innocent, and what I mean by that is unique. she cannot geometrically. You know, like geometrically. You know the the patterns. She, uh, anyway, 
He's still fixated on the snowflake. I am. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I see. I see. I see. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. He's a computer major, computer science major. He's like probably trying to find. I understand. How to code a snowflake. No, Esther is like really, really innocent soul, like to a point that she can't tell if somebody's lying or she can't tell if somebody's like uh, um, being sarcastic. Yeah, yeah. So she, she takes a lot of my sarcasms. Ooh, that's real. That's dangerous. <laughs> no, 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 no. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Jung, man. No, I have, I have now assumed that everything that comes out of Jung's mouth is sarcasm. There you go. Otherwise, that's how I do that's, it every that's day. That's how I navigate. <laughs> yeah, that's how I navigate this friendship. I assume it's all sarcasm, and then I just laugh it off, and then I realize later on, oh, he was serious, and then I feel yeah. bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't feel bad. But that's usually, the part. Usually, if do. you just assume it's sarcasm, yeah. you're all right. Oh. Okay. Right, right, right. Oh my gosh. Wait, it's okay, Jung. Over it. What do you mean that's how you handle it, Ted? No, what are you it's talking just about? everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, so with Jung, you have to assume that it's like he's being sarcastic, right? Like if he said something like, uh, I don't know, like super criticizing me or like whatever it is, like roasting or whatever it is, right? If you laugh and he I laughs back, roasted. you're in the clear. If you laugh, he doesn't <laughs> laugh back. You're done for. <laughs> like you gotta run. Like there's nothing you can do about it in that situation. But that, yeah, I, I, Jung is a um, interesting person to have a strong dynamic with. But luckily, him and I have worked out, so you catch on to certain cues. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it didn't work out in the beginning. Oh no, it did not. I don't even. That's yeah. another episode when Esther's not here for us to get over that. <laughs> <laughs> but. Yeah. It's really interesting, Esther, how you, like, mentioned that, like, your next book is supposed to be, like, you don't want it to be, like, super fiction, but, like, in a way, the way that, <coughs> like, it's written almost, like, is, but it's so real at the same time, like, obviously you can't write a letter to, like, a mental illness, but it makes sense, though, like, to the point where it's super, I guess, nonfiction, I don't know if that's the right word for it. But that, like, yeah, I don't really know what genre you would consider it, but in terms of like fiction or nonfiction, it's definitely not fiction mm -hmm. because it's not telling a story. Yeah, it's not like basic, um, what is it? Like, it's not like a general narrative, like very um, what we'd normally see. It's almost like science based, but like you said, but mm. I relate to that. Like when, when I make like, when I made like videos in the past too, and you mentioned your interest in this too, it's like the same thing. You're telling a story, but you, you, you kind of still went down that path, I feel like, of creating a story, but just in a different format. And that was in writing. <laughs> I, I could never do that, to be honest. Writing is so hard. And like figuring out- Need a tutor. Goes. Well, you made it. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> we will definitely, um, in this episode, you guys can find Esther's socials. We will link all her um, her books and all the links for that for you guys to find and read if you're listening. Um, but yeah, it's super interesting. Mm. Highly recommended. Yeah. Yeah, I still haven't even gotten uh, to it. I'll definitely get the ebook. No, like one of the reasons why I hated reading growing up was because I don't know, the authors would just lose me. Okay, maybe at the end of the day, it was just my. Maybe I had re issues with reading comprehension skills. Maybe <laughs> I needed. I needed Miss Irene to come tutor me, and... Yo, who's this Miss Irene that everyone needs of that? Mysterious. What do you mean? I'm just saying. It's... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But, um... Yeah, but Esther's writing is actually, like, very personal, I think. Um, and relatable, almost, like... Relatable. It's easy to understand. Uh, I'm not saying she doesn't use any big words, because trust me, she does. Um, oh, yeah. Her, her writing is... It's it's beautiful. It is um, very descriptive, and but um, yeah, it's just her stories and the way that she delivers certain points is very. Um, it's just, it's just attention grabbing, and that's what I appreciate. That's something I can appreciate in an author, from a reader's perspective, as someone who is not really quote unquote a leader. Sorry, a reader because I hate reading. Uh. But yeah, um, highly recommended. Um, so when is the third book going to come out? Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> the last time... Okay, honestly, the last time I wrote a letter was probably, like, the year I went to Sacramento. Yikes. Break. 
That was like... But the reason why I took a break was because I was starting my career and I needed to focus on that. Mm. Speaking of career, and this kind of transitioned into something else. This isn't really a career, but you are also serving in your youth group, in your church in Canada, correct? Yeah. Hello? Are you still there? Hello? Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. So is yeah, so how was so how did you start on your journey to serve your church in in Calgary? In in general or in youth leading specifically? In youth leading, because I remember you um telling me that this opportunity came and you were like super excited about leading but you were also petrified at the same time mm, okay so with youth leading I actually I went to a different city for university so I started going to a church in the other city and it was at that church that I started getting opportunities to do youth leading so there's this camp that happens okay in Canada we have provinces instead of states but it's like the same thing so we have this camp for our province that all Baptist churches, I guess, will send their youth groups to. And I used to go to this camp as a kid. And so I had an opportunity to go to that, that camp as a leader while I was in university. And my pastor at that new church I was going to, I guess, got this feeling that I was ready to take on a leading position, but I had never actually done it before. But for some reason, he voluntold me to lead grade nine Bible study, like by myself. Nice. And over the course of the summer, as people were preparing to lead, like for that camp, they spelled my email wrong. So I never got any of their planning emails. I didn't Ooh. know what their material was. I got off the bus the first day we got to camp and the photographer came up to me because she recognized me and she was like, oh, hey, Esther, um, I heard you were leading grade nine Bible study today or, or this week. And I was like, wait, what? So I had to like figure out who voluntold me, found out it was the pastor. I went up to him and I was like, why though? And he said, I just want to go. I told why you ahead of time. Yeah, why though? Why? <laughs> he was like, if I told you ahead of time, you would have said no. But I felt like you were ready. And so I'm giving you this opportunity and you're, you'll be able to do it. But because I didn't get any of their emails leading up to that camp, I had to plan the Bible study the night before and I remember it being I remember feeling panicked anxious but also kind of excited and because um, I didn't get to plan ahead of time they were like you're allowed to volunteer someone to kind of help you and be your partner and bounce ideas off of because you didn't have time to prepare so I chose another youth leader at my church in Edmonton that I had led with a few times or knew knew pretty well and we we did the bible study and it was actually really good i think it was actually the first time that i ever led a bible study and then after that camp finished uh the pastor asked me if there was a ministry that he could see me leading in for the next three years that i would be in the city going to this church because he wanted everyone to be in some sort of serving capacity if they were at that point of faith mm. And he gave me the rest of the summer to think about it. And then when I came back to school in September, I told him I wanted to give youth leading a shot. And the first semester I was youth leading, it was really rocky. Like it wasn't certain at the beginning that I was going to continue doing this because there were some like miscommunication things that were going on. And there was this other youth leader that just kept misunderstanding certain things and then getting angry at me and, um, I guess saying things to me in front of the youth that I thought were inappropriate and making me question if I was competent to be in this position. At the same time, I was so new to this church, I didn't really feel like I had fit in yet. And the fact that there were people that were kind of showing disapproval towards me just made me feel like maybe I shouldn't be serving yet. I'm not ready because I don't know this church well enough. Or maybe I don't belong in this church. I was wrestling with all of these questions all at once. but that day that i had a major disagreement with one of the youth leaders i actually ended up going to the parking lot of the church and crying and just thinking i'm gonna quit after tonight and other 
other youth leaders who were my friends actually came out to find me and told me like not to give up but they didn't really know what else to say and they prayed with me um, so after I was done crying I went back into the church and the programming had ended and I was just standing in the gym waiting for parents to come pick up the youth and at this point I was a, a high school leader so I only really knew the high school youth I didn't really know the junior highs but this one junior high girl just came up to me and she had this origami lotus flower that she folded and for some reason like she decided to give that to me instead of one of her junior high leaders and then she just kind of stood with me at the gym and just chatted with me until her parents came to pick her up and I didn't really know like why she did that why she chose me but I kind of felt like that flower that she gave me and the fact that she kept me company that night was a sign that maybe I, I should persevere for a little longer to see if there's a place for me in youth leading. So I didn't give up that night, although I really wanted to. And I'm glad I didn't because I ended up learning so much. And then when I came back to my own city, Calgary, um, and I went back to my old church, I just jumped right into youth leading. And I've been doing that ever since. So I think it's been almost seven years since I've started youth leading. Mm. Yes. Okay, I remember you telling me this story. Um, I don't know if you told me the last time, but what was the disagreement about that was so bad? It was honestly so stupid. So that night, we had two leaders that were in charge, me and this other guy. And then we would have support leaders and we would kind of rotate who's taking charge and who's support depending on the week. But that week, it was me and this other guy. And we had split it up so that I would teach the youth the first half of the night, and then the other guy would teach the youth the last half of the night. So the entire first half, I was just explaining instructions, taking charge, um, telling the youth where to go, where to find materials, and what to do. But one of the leaders who wasn't part of our planning and didn't know that we split the night that way, he thought that I was being bossy and that I wasn't giving the other leader a chance to talk. So he basically in front of all of the youth in this tiny room as they were trying to like grab scissors to like cut crafts and stuff, he basically said that I was being really disrespectful and bossy to this other person and all of, and in a very confrontational way and some of the youth like picked on to that vibe and they started like putting their stuff down and just kind of listening in and watching and it was just really embarrassing because it was in front of everybody and like some of the other youth leaders didn't know how to intervene and I just couldn't handle like that attention on me at that moment so I just left the left the room and then I just started crying so I just went to the parking lot it was bad that's unfortunate why does it feel like Ted is it just me or does it just sounds like this is Korean church too <laughs> is it not like, I mean oh my. it was a Chinese church <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> oh gosh well, okay. So, how long have you been serving in your church now? In a youth leading capacity, about seven years in total. Or in my Calgary church, probably three years. What was, like, number one, like, most memorable slash most difficult challenge you had to overcome um, ever since you started serving in your home church? In my home church? Or whatever the church, the youth that you're serving right now. Mm -hmm. I think that my biggest challenge originally was trying to find how I would fit into this team and this dynamic because I was coming in as an addition to an already existing youth team. And it kind of felt like the older, more experienced leaders didn't really acknowledge or trust in my ability or skills or intention like there was a lot of doubt around that and if I was leading a night they would they would kind of be wary about it and it it felt like there wasn't really communication like there was a hierarchy in our team and I really didn't like that um, about two years ago they the older leaders sort of retired from youth ministry and I ended up somehow I guess Ta taking their role where now I'm not only discipling the youth and leading the youth ministry I'm also trying to disciple the younger youth leaders 
and teaching them how to become youth leaders. Um, but I think trying to, originally in the beginning, trying to find how I fit into this group and what my role really is and how to do that role was probably the biggest challenge. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's your main um, responsibility as a leader is to raise up a new leader, right? And so exactly. I feel like that's something that people kind of just kind of forget and just go, oh, I'm the leader, therefore I'm just going to just keep doing my thing. And mm -hmm. they don't really take any time to minister to anyone specifically or they don't really focus on, okay, who can be the next generation of a leader. It's just they're like, I'm the leader. That's really all there is to it. I'm just going to keep doing my thing. And exactly. not even pay attention to what's to come in the future. Right, Ted? Yup. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No, no. Ted's serving, um, well, he's not serving youth, but he's serving, or at least he's making a transition to serving college group. And I am currently serving in youth with a praise team, and I've been also leading Bible study. And, you know, we also talked about, you know, like what we can do during this time of quarantine, like how can we get, come up with some kind of like activity, plan some kind of activity that can be done virtually to get these kids engaged. And, you know, and it's always, it's always encouraging to hear your story, encouraging to hear what you're doing with your kids and what you're learning, what God's revealing to you about your kids. And so you were... So you started serving when you were in high school then, right? Is that what you said? Like, outside of a youth leading capacity? Yeah, so to that camp, how old were you when you had to lead? Um, as a I was in grade, I was, I was in first year university when I led that Bible study. Okay, okay. So college, yeah. So yeah, college. Yeah. 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 Sounds about right, yeah. Because if know, you're in high school, you would be doing, like, children's. You wouldn't be teaching other high schoolers if you're in high yeah, school. Yeah, fact. Right. Or it's like right. VBS or whatever. Yeah, you would be doing VBS. Mm. I hate VBS. Oh, but anyway. Okay. <laughs> 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 There's some trauma to unravel here. Uh, there definitely is. There definitely is. Yeah, I got bamboozled by, um, by a pastor. But anyway, we will not go into detail about that. But um, yeah, interestingly, I've been kind of noticing this too, because even at our church, we have a couple college kids who graduated from high school recently. And, you know, they're trying to, they're showing interest about like leading or becoming a leader, right? And this actually was something I was thinking about the other day. It's... Like when we when we were in high school, right, and we had we know like one or two leaders that that was serving us when we were in high school in our church. Did you did we ever feel like did you ever feel like oh man like I can do better, or did you ever feel like oh man they are not that good of a leader? I've definitely had some that I kind of felt like weren't really putting their heart into it. Because if if your heart isn't there when you're serving, you can't fool the people you're trying to minister to. And youth are really smart. They're really perceptive. If you don't actually care about them, they, they totally know right away that you're just there for whatever reason. And they're not going to go to you to confide in certain things. And I had some leaders that I felt were there for whatever reason and, and didn't actually have their heart into it. Um, but I've also had leaders who were genuinely, they genuinely cared about my spiritual growth and they, they would check up on me and keep me accountable and tell me stories from their own experiences and teach me things. But I think in high school, I, I was smart enough to know that people aren't perfect. And so if they were to make mistakes, if they were to say the wrong thing, I, I would forgive them for that. But I would try to focus on aspects of their leadership that I liked and I would try to be able to show those aspects that I liked um, when I had to turn to be a youth leader. So, for example, one of my youth leaders was really good at drawing from personal experiences and 
getting us to be comfortable and opening up about our own personal experiences. That was something I took from her. Whereas another one um, was really good at teaching us using analogies um, and being really patient. And she was really good at having one-on-one -on -one conversations with us. So I would take that from her. Um, I would try to take aspects that I liked of, of my past leaders, um, remembering how it had impacted me so that I could learn and grow in my own youth leading now. Right, right. And I think that's important. What, it's important what you just mentioned. And, you know, it, all, it comes down to your, your attitude, right? right? Having that right mm -hmm. attitude, being genuine, being um, intentional, and also keeping that hu humility, right? Like not thinking that, uh, yeah, and it's just keeping humility. And that, that's something, that's kind of an issue that I feel like a lot of these upcoming generation of leaders kind of struggle with or even even my generation that makes me sound so old but even in my generation <laughs> where you know these new leaders they these these high school kids they graduate and then they they become freshmen in a university or college and all of a sudden that alone is enough credential for them to become or enough criteria for them to become a leader you know it's just purely because you're in college or purely mm -hmm. because you're in university that all of a sudden you are able to become a leader. And I don't think that's necessarily true. Um, yes, like mature. I guess have conversations with them to kind of dig into why they want to become a leader? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And here's the funny thing is almost all of them, if not all of them, have the right answer. Right? Mm. They know exactly mm. what to say. And I'm not specifically talking about anybody. It's just, this is not just in my church for, that I'm serving currently, but it's also the church that I grew up in before and served. And, you know, it, it just goes, it's, I'm not just talking about one church specifically, okay? I'm talking about my entire church that I've attended in my lifetime. But it's always been, like, they all know what, to, they all know what to say. They all know what to look for. It's just the fact that there's, it lacks genuine heart. It lacks that mm -hmm. intentionality. And you can kind of tell, you know. Um, I remember when I, was in, when I was in VBS, sorry, I wasn't in the VBS. I was serving in VBS as a, as a group leader, um, Team Wombat, let's go. But anyway, I was serving <laughs> as a VBS station leader, and we, there was this one kid who was really, really, really bad at paying attention, right? And he, he's, he's like 10 years old or something, but he was just a super hyperactive kid who was always out of control. And it was so bad to a point, like no teachers wanted, them, wanted this kid in their group, you know? Like nobody wanted, the, wanted him in their group. And it's not, it sounds bad, but like realistically speaking, right? Like it, if you have a child who's like so handful, it's, you're like, ah, I mean, God, like if it is your will for me to <laughs> watch over this kid, then that's fine. But, you know, if possible, let this cup pass from me. Oh <laughs> and, you know, that's kind of like the situation. But I ended up having this kid in my group. And it was pretty exhausting. It was draining and... Every time there's like a story time, he's like yelling and distracting other kids, getting in trouble, whatnot. And um, I remember that that VBS theme was, I want to be like Jesus. Okay. And after every day, I've, I've just been, I've just been watching and I've noticed like the leaders and the teachers and other kids too, they, all they were doing were like constantly scolding at this kid, right? And I'm, I'm personally frustrated because I want him to pay attention and I want him to get something out from this VBS activity. But he's not giving any chance. And, you know, and that was frustrating me. And I felt like I was failing as a leader, right? And some people, and when I asked my friends, like, who was also serving, like, what can I do? You know, they'll all say, oh, dude, you just got the really tough kid. Like, there's really not much you can do. You just got to... Make sure, like, the kid doesn't <laughs> get hurt or he doesn't, like, die or anything. Like, that's really all you can do. Like, it, it's, there's not much else you can do about him, you know, not paying attention and being so hyperactive and all that. And then the more I just kind of 
ignored it and not intervened I mean of course if he's being distracting then I would say like hey you need to pay attention you know and just do all that like big brotherly kind of things like just pay attention stop talking like stop like give me that toy but other than that there's really not much I was doing as a leader and I noticed that he was constantly getting yelled at and being scolded and he would cry and but then he's um the way his personality is he would cry and then like five minutes later he'll start like laughing and jumping and start running around again and so at the end of one of the I think it was like second day or first day we were having um, teacher evaluation and we were kind of sorry not evaluation debrief we're we're just talking about how the day went how were the kids and what we can do to improve and I asked I asked my pastor you know our theme is I want to be like Jesus or to be like Jesus so with that being said if Jesus was a station leader right if Jesus if Jesus was a station leader or a group leader and he had a child like this in his group what would Jesus do okay because I I don't know like would Jesus if Jesus was or even if Jesus was teaching the story right if he was teaching kids like Bible lessons or Bible stories and if there's like a child who's like not paying attention and just running around and being distract distracting to other people what would Jesus do in that situation and then like everybody was kind of thinking for a while and the pastor said to be honest I think if Jesus was teaching a story and a kid was not paying attention and just running around being distracting and just playing Jesus would probably stop telling stories and play with them and that's when I realized like holy crap that actually totally makes sense right and that makes sense because that's not just like keeping the child like distracting and that's not about just throwing away all the responsibility it's literally just spending time with him um, doing something that he wants to do and giving him the time to to show that you know you care about him and you want to spend time with him and you want um, you want what's best for him in a sense because he's not gonna listen and so the next day when we we're doing story time I remember um, he was of course being distract distracting again and that's when when I took him it was like, hey, let's go outside. And we literally ran around in like freaking hella hot sun for like 20 minutes just playing Dragon Ball Z. I have no idea what I was doing. He was just like yelling around, just like screaming Kamehameha for like 20 minutes. And I'm just like, oh, like pretending I'm getting blasted by this energy. And like, but after that, he actually, his attitude about VBS like changed 180 degrees where he started being more. Uh, he started being more engaging he started participating more and during <laughs> during story times you know he would actually pay attention right during worship time he was singing and he would dance maybe he was more calm because he got to <laughs> I don't know, put out all his energy <laughs> maybe he was tired but I don't know but ever since then he started being more respectful to himself to other people to all the teachers and all of a sudden, like, he became this model child overnight. And I think that shows a lot about, as a leader, I'm sorry, I'm, like, super blabbering, but I think that shows a lot about um, this genuine heart of leaders, is that, you know, just because you're a certain age group doesn't mean, you know, you have everything down, right? Um, what's most important is that heart, humble heart, and that, that genuine uh, intentional heart that you want to serve um, out of love not out of respect or out of any title or you know any payment if there is a payment but it's about that genuine intention of wanting to see your kid grow wanting what's best for them and really connecting with them at a one-on-one -on -one level and that's what something I hate about you know, these like I <laughs> these new college student leaders like when you when you see them like in a ch church retreat or whatnot 
like every kid, all the kids are out having fun, like doing activities with other teachers. But then they all of a sudden they think that you know they're they're too old to do something. They're too old to participate, or they're too they're too busy to um, be engaged with the kids during like sermon. So that's why the group, all the kids are out in the middle center of the sanctuary, like paying attention. But then all the leaders are in the back chilling on their phone or thinking that they're doing something more quote unquote spiritual. And that pisses me off. And to me, that just, that shows lack of humility. And really, they're just serving, not for the well-being of students, but just because they can serve. And because they, it's, like, it's like a way of like spiritual flex, in a way. But there's really nothing to flex about. You're just leader because you're, you're old. You're old enough to be in college. Does that make sense? Dude, I'm like talking so much. Yeah, okay. No, it makes total sense. <laughs> yeah, so that was a little episode of Jung's rent. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> but I think um, I, I go to a smaller church, so we do experience that, but to a smaller capacity. Um, but my younger leaders, like I, I have had that issue with them. And it comes down to then knowing, okay, well, they've made this decision to try youth leading. And they're not going to be perfect right when they start. Obviously, when we started, we weren't perfect either. But how can we get them on the same page as us? Because this issue of them not engaging or thinking they're too good for something or um, not taking their responsibilities seriously or not putting um, intention behind it, there's something else going on there. And that's something that as, say, an older, more experienced leader who, who does have their heart in the right place, that's something that you ought to then kind of explore with them if that is your role. I mean, if you have a youth pastor or something, then that can be their role. My church is small, so we don't have a youth pastor. Um, in the beginning, like this past school year, we had some issues like that. Um, I guess in terms of like flakiness, where some of my younger leaders, they, they would be assigned to lead this night. And then a few hours before or a day before, they would say, oh, I'm actually going to go to my crush's birthday party instead, so I can't lead anymore. Oh, yeah, it's like less than 24 hours notice, but I really need to go to this, like, guy's birthday party because he's going to become my future husband. Like, one of my leaders actually <laughs> said that to me, and I thought, wow, the audacity. And I had to have a conversation, not just with her, but with my entire team to bring them on the same page that, you know, you signed up for this, and there's expectations involved. But we need to be on the same page that these youth are a priority to God. And because we chose to be youth leaders, they're a priority to us. And if you can't be on the same page as that, and if you don't think these youth deserve your attention as much as, say, this guy who you think you're going to marry and probably won't, then get off my team. Because I need people on my team who will actually take these youth as a priority and care about their spiritual growth and want to help them in getting closer to God. And I think having those sorts of conversations although difficult are helpful because then it gets them to it, in a sense it, it rebukes them it convicts them and it helps it gives them an opportunity to then bring themselves on the same page if they continue to make stupid decisions to not commit to this um, ministry then they don't belong in that ministry even if they say oh god called me to it you you clearly like are just saying that because your life like right doesn't answer. reflect God's calling you mm -hmm. to this. Mm -hmm. yeah. And in that case, you have to let them go. If that's your call to make. For, mm -hmm. In church, it is my call to make. Right, right. Well, that's extremely well put. You know, And this is our closing um, <clears throat> quote of the day. Don't be thirsty for guys or girls. Be thirsty for that holy water. Yeah. I don't like that ending. We're not gonna end until you find a different. I don't know what you got this quote from, bro. Ted, fix this. <laughs> oh man, I. Oh my it's God. interesting to see you guys say all this because, like, I'm still learning a lot of things. Um, learn like in leading ministries, I guess. I was put in like a very different situation where mm, similar to you, Esther, like I, my youth group at the time had no pastor for a couple of years and we had like maybe one or two Bible study teachers that kind of ran everything, but you know, they have full-time jobs and 
families. So it was hard for them to be active. And I was, I was more thrown into it of where someone had to do something or else it looked like the whole youth group was just going to like disappear from our church. Mm. But both of you guys had very interesting things, I think, very meaningful lessons and experiences, like, which I take seriously as well, because Jung, you know what, we had to go through our last winter retreat with a lot of the college leaders, and we won't get into that, but interesting. I've deleted that moment from my head. You deleted it? Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. What would Joe Pax say? No, it's, 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 <laughs> it's fine, it's, you know, it's fine, like, you know, and, and truth be told, and I said this multiple times, like, you know, if when I was their age, I was worse. Sure, yeah. So, but then we don't want to make that excuse to, like, right. even, exactly. like, with the youth so. kids, like, oh, I was just as bad, so we'll let them be bad and mess around. Yeah, that's not, that's not what I'm saying yeah, at all, yeah, right? Yeah. But, but, yeah, I, I understand, but, right. of course, that's not okay. And so, if you want to lead, if you... I mean, nobody's telling you to lead, right? Like, people stepping up because they want to. The if you're going to step yeah. up to lead, make sure you actually stepping up to lead. But, okay, I mean, here's a better quote that I've heard, and that was, um, before you can learn how to lead, you got to learn how to serve. And there you go, that's I a better that's, quote, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I still like my holy water quote. <laughs> All right, well, it's been redacted. You yeah. can have both. Thank you, thank you, thank nice. you. We're not clapping for you, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whatever, Hold dude. Hold pause. All right, so, yeah, we've been trying to keep it short. So, As always. A new record. <laughs> an hour and six. But it's all good. Um, thanks for tuning in today. That's all the time we have. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Esther. Mm. Thanks for being part of the uh, Painted Jungle. Okay, thank you for being part of the I don't know, like Islander, forest, rainforest. Yes, people. Sure. Yeah. Thank you for being part of the Savage Club. The natives. <laughs> the natives. Thanks. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, please check us out. Wait, you're so much better at, at this than I am. Oh, law. Okay. Um, so yeah, well, again, thank you guys for listening to the Bane and Jungle. <laughs> we want to thank Esther for joining us. All of our social medias and hers will be in the description boxes below for you guys to check out again check us out on painted jungle at painted jungle podcast on instagram and at painted jungle on snapchat um any last words esther no thanks for having me and if elon musk sponsors you can i can i get yeah some yeah that? yeah you'll get the commission <laughs> don't worry Sweet. all right thank you guys for listening it's been episode eight stay healthy stay safe see you guys bye bye